0: So glad to see you still got the "We Won't Be Afraid" project posters up there at the back. Uh, that's fantastic, guys. You know, and um, you know, we we launched that CD um, at most of the show for churches. We weren't able to come up to East London; it's it's too far. But so, in any case, um, that was an amazing project that I was involved with. You know, we had about sixty songs that were submitted for for the project. And we kind of filtered through, and I, I knew from the start this was going to be an amazing project, um, because there was just so such rich songs that were submitted and um, what we did is we had a big night, and we invited about there was about 50 people, and we'd filtered it down to about 25 songs, and we said, "Come guys, just lend us your ears, come sit in the room, we're going to play you the songs, uh, we're going to give you little score sheets, and you tell us what you think about the songs, these these songs that we filtered down, and these guys helped us score the songs and put it into Excel spreadsheet and kind of kicked out the top 12 or 13 songs and my job as kind of the, the overseer or the kind of the producer of the album was to, was to to find that common thread what is God saying to us through the psalmist of Shofar in this season what is he saying to us through the songs and the main message that came through clear as day was this issue of we won 't be afraid, the battle is the lords don 't fear we won 't be afraid. the battle is the lords came through in james 's song the song that we sang um, this morning that song came through in another song uh, that Greg boy wrote came through in another song that I wrote that didn 't make it onto the album but but God was saying the same thing to us and um I've been kind of sharing the last few months around this thing because it's something that's real to me. It's something that I know God has spoken to us. And I've shared it at, at some of the other um, churches. And I felt God leading me specifically to share it at Islam. It's already come through and been confirmed in the word that uh, Lorene brought and that Ellen brought. Um, that God is wanting to, to speak to us about this morning. So I've entitled this, mess, this message, The Fear Factor. The Fear Factor. Who remembers that TV show called The Fear Factor. Ah, we've got nice demographics here. They remember that show. Um, Now, that show was built around the emotion of fear. Do you remember that? They would climb onto high things and jump off moving objects and do dangerous things. And we'd kind of all sit there and glued and think, oh, my goodness, can they actually do something like this? Do you remember that? But at the end of the show, kind of part three was something they had to eat. I always, I mean, I remember at one stage it was a raw liver. At another stage it was this bowl of cow eyeballs. I mean, it was, I don't know where they found these things. I don't know if it was fake. I don't know if they gave them kind of injections before the time so they wouldn't get sick. But I mean, it was, they obviously, you know, it was, it wasn't fake because of the guy's response. And there was this one episode that I'll never forget. And, they had kind of four perspex tanks lined up like this. And they've just propped them full, see-through tanks of earthworms, earthworms. You guys, remember that one? And uh, these four contestants had to come and kind of climb into their tank of earthworms. And then, the, like you press wine in the old days, they had to start trapping the earthworms like this. And if that wasn't bad enough, at the bottom it filtered down into a nice little 500 mil see-through cup. You know this little, the guy that you get the castle cup at the cricket, you know, when you're having your beer. And so the race was on to trap your Erdwurms. This is true story. You can go and check it out. And I mean, and they trapped. And I remember there was a contestant and he ran down and he gulped down his little dumpy of Erdwurms juice. I mean, talk about organic. They were way ahead of their time. But amazing show, an amazing show, I think, produced by Mark Burnett, who's who's doing the the Survivor Series as well, built around the emotion of fear. And, uh, you know, I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie in my younger days. Um, And I did a couple of relatively crazy things I enjoyed Jumping off anything high I could find into water. And so me and my buddy Terry, we would drive on a Saturday and we'd just go and look for things we can jump off, you know, at least where there's water. Um, and and the one thing that I'd, I kind of climbed table mountain uh, traditional style up, you know, in front of the cable car, that was that was pretty pretty scary. But the other thing that I did is bungee jumping. Who's done bungee jumping? It's a terrible experience, eh? I don't know why people would pay to, to, to do jump uh, bungee jumping. I'll never do it again. Bridge swinging is much more enjoyable. You can actually enjoy the feeling of, of, of kind of swing. Bungee jumping, you just kind of go head down and your blood rushes to your head and it's just kind of overwhelming and within a few seconds it's all over and you don't remember anything. It's it's, it's a really bad experience. I think there's, a, there's... I put up a picture of that. If you can go to two slides on. There's the proof. I still had hair then, so... Uh, <laughs> This is me, I promise you. <laughs> but the reason why I'm telling you this story is, me and my buddy, we go going to do this bungee jump. We were actually in a band called Bellyfish, um, and we did a, a tour up to Mossel Bay, and we passed over the Horitz Bridge, and of course, there was something high, and you could jump off it. So, uh, so we couldn't pass by without jumping off it. And... Um, he dared me to go first and I did a brave jump, as you can see. And he went second and he kind of flopped over the front. Um, and I kind of remember him coming down because I was in a boat at the bottom of the river and he came down and his eyeballs just got bigger and bigger and the kind of blood was rushing to his head and then he kind of disappeared again and then he came back again. But the reason why I'm telling you this story is because we it was about a 70 meter or something jump and then there was like this seriously steep path where to kind of climb up this little mountain in a sense. And I don't remember how I got to the top. Well, I sort of remember, but I mean, it was, it was just like we were up in a flash. And the reason why we were up in a flash is there was adrenaline surging through our bodies that had responded to the fear that we had just gone through after the guy counted five, four, three, two, one jump. And that in a sense is a good fear. And that's the way God has made our bodies, to respond uh, to a dangerous situation. The psychologists call it the fight or flight response. You guys probably know about that. And, um, you know, people will testify of a dog was chasing me and I scaled a two-meter wall, you know. And I was in my high heels and smartest Sunday outfit, you know. It's just what the body does when it's it's a God-given thing. It's It's something that God has blessed us with to respond in that moment, just like we ran up that mountain and didn't even... Feel it; it was our bodies responding, and 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 uh, they t- they say your 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 body actually secretes a hormone to a part of the brain called the amygdala. I think the doctors in the house will know what the, what it means. But in that fight or flight response, they say your vision becomes acute, your hearing becomes acute, uh, your blood vessels widen, your body starts surging, um, your body starts getting blood all over the place, and you and you're able to respond. To that situation. That's the good, good fear that I'm talking about. But then there's a different fear. That the Bible kind of warns us about. If you go to that next slide. It's a different fear. It's a fear that over time leads to. Kind of a paralysis. Anxieties often associated with us. Stagnation. You, you basically just become immobilized. Indecisiveness, silence, depression. That's some of you will know what I'm talking about. There's, there's some of you that have got no idea what I'm talking about now. Some of you will relate in a big way because you battle this thing every day. And some of you will have some sense of, oh, yeah, when I need to do a speech at a wedding, then I feel a bit jittery or whatever. Um, and some of you, like I said, you know, you're just naturals and you cruise through life without fear. But. This is a different type of fear. And and the reason why I'm wanting to to, to kind of just highlight what what that fear does is it steals God's purpose in your life. Because when you're meant to stand up and say something, you can't. When you're in a business meeting and the guys are doing a shaky deal and you want to say, Guys, this is not ethical. Something chokes you and you're just like, I can't say that. What are they going to think? Some of you would have been through an experience like Lorene, and you fear that glossy, glossy thing said, I will never have children. So for years, she has to battle fear until God sets her free. This is what that type of fear does. I'm just highlighting, and now we're going to start unpacking it. So the first scripture for this morning is out of Joshua chapter 1. from verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of be strong in a short passage of Scripture. It's one of the more serious pep talks I've seen in the Bible that God has given to one of his leaders. And I started thinking about this. Like, why would God tell Joshua three times in this short little piece of scripture, Joshua, don't be afraid. Joshua, did you hear me? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Have I not commanded you? Don't be afraid. Eventually, he speaks to his men. They tell him as well, Joshua, you just don't be afraid. All within the short piece of scripture. And I feel God was, he knew what Joshua was going to go through. He knew something was coming and he had to prepare his son for what he had to go. Because you see, Joshua, God's plan for Joshua, he said, Joshua, you are general in my army. I'm going to use your life like very few. The promises that I've given to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to fulfill through your life. You're going to define the geographical boundaries of my nation, Israel. But there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. In fact, you're going to have to take 28 cities on the trot. A lot of battles. A lot of fear. A lot of intimidating situations. Apart from those battles, the other thing is, Joshua, I'm sending you into a land where not everyone is quite 100% human. They're kind of these hybrid human beings. Today we refer to them as giants. You can go and check *History Channel. You can go and check National Geographic. These guys were freaky. Three meters tall. I mean, in the natural, you, you stood no chance. And Joshua had to go and take these guys out. I remember his words when he gave his report back. Were we not like grasshoppers in their sight? And so, we pick up the story here at the beginning Basically, God says, Moses, my, ser- my servant is dead. Now you arise, you and your people, and you go over this river. So if you go to that next slide, they've been led kind of to the, to the bottom there where the little arrow is at the bottom. And they need to take Jericho on the other side of the river. And um, here's the challenge. Moses, the man that we've looked up to all these years for vision, for leadership, for miracles, when things seem impossible, he's dead. The new kid on the block is Joshua. We haven't heard too much about Joshua. We know that he loved the presence of God. But the Bible refers to him as the son of Nun, N-U-N. And he's Moses' assistant. And so he gets told, the land that you need to take, it's there. The only problem is there's a river that's flowing between you and your promise. Now, guys, if you look at, I went and Googled this. The, the Jordan today is not very wide. It's 15, 20, 20, 30 meters at the most. But then I started researching. I was like, God, why was this such a miracle? And then I started researching it more. And if you show that next slide, there's a picture from the 1930s that they... They have on the net. And at harvest times, the Jordan flows its banks. And it actually becomes quite wide. At stages, it's well over 100 meters wide. Three meters deep, flowing at 10 miles an hour. He's got three million people with him. Kids, children, livestock. We've got a logistical challenge. We need a miracle. We need a water miracle, but Moses is dead. Remember... When it comes to water, Moses is the man. He turns the Nile into blood. He splits the sea. If they thirsty in the desert, he strikes a rock. Here's your water. Big shoes to fill. And I just wonder, I just wonder if there wasn't a little bit of, oh my goodness, Lord. Are you with me? Can I do this? This is my first test. Three million people are looking at me. Maybe he had no fear of man. My take is, uh, maybe I'll ask him in heaven It's like. How did you feel on that day? Because I think it ma- it was massively intimidating. Because he knew they needed a miracle. He knew he couldn't do it in the natural. There's no bridge built. He knows the word of the God that the word of God they need to go over. He needs a miracle, and so you can go and read the part of the scripture. It's, it's beautiful. God speaks to to Joshua, and he says, "Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow I will do wonders among you." And then he gives Joshua a personal word and says, tomorrow I'll start magnifying you in the sight of Israel so that everybody will know, as I was with Moses, so I am with you. He affirms his leader and he establishes his leader and he gives him clear instruction. Here's the miracle, guys. He tells him what to do in the situation. And it's not like, let's get the logs together and try and build a, a thing. He gets a word that must called the worship team the Levites, the guys bearing the ark and they must walk into the water. Three million people watching. And we know the rest of the story as the Levites and the ministers of of God walk into the Jordan. The word says that far up the Jordan, the water piled up in great heaps at a place called Adam. I mean, it's the stuff of Narnia movies. It's, it's, It's water that's, it's piling up in great, great heaps. It's not something I'm making up, it's what the word says. The water was piling up in great heaps. God does a miracle and the Levites go and stand in the middle of the Jordan and three million people cross over. And Joshua is affirmed as the new leader of Israel. A situation where most of us would have cracked because of the fear of man. Joshua, the leader of God, is able to hear God's voice he said, put my presence in the middle of your problem and see me do miracles. Amen. And so this morning I'm just wanting to share three or four ideas that, and this is very personal for me as well, it's stuff I've kind of worked through over years and uh, I apply on a, on a daily, not if, you a know, weekly basis just in dealing with things that come and challenge you around this issue of fear. So, Number one, how do we deal with fear in our lives? I've just spoken about it. We put God in our river. It's it's, metaphorically speaking. We put God's presence in our problem. What does that mean? It means that we're intimate with God. Daniel 11.32 says, The people who know their God shall be, shall be strong. And carry out great exploits. If you need strength, you need to know God. Something Andre said many years ago, I don't know if he remembers this, but um, we were talking about a a common friend that kind of backslidden. And we were just talking like, how on earth could this have happened to this person that was so solid? And his beautiful Afrikaans told, he said, I'm saying it a bit jokingly now, but it's, he nailed it on the head. If we don't get to God, that's when the wheels come off. That's when the battery goes flat. That's when the devil comes in and he tempts you and you actually fall for it. And within a few days, he's ruined what God has built up over years. Simply because we haven't got fresh manna, we haven't got fresh bread, we haven't got fresh water, we're running on yesterday's revelation. And God's saying, every day I've prepared fresh bread for you, every day I want to fill you up with living water. All you need to do is come. It's what James said this morning. We can choose to sing songs this morning, or we can choose to come sit at the feet of Jesus and just be with Him. Very, very powerful. Some simple truth, but very powerful. Okay. The second thing. This issue of joy, and this has taken me a long time, years, to, to sort of understand because I naturally gravitate to kind of the chronpot status and uh, can be quite quite moody at times. Um, but there's this psalm that says sixteen. 11, Sixteen eleven says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And I often think, where is the happiest place on earth? Does anybody have an idea? Because I'd love to know. The happiest place on earth. I'm an island guy, so I tend to think it's in the Maldives. I've heard it's really amazing there. You know... In the middle of last year, me and my wife, we were blessed by my folks to travel overseas a bit. We haven't been able to get away because of the kids for for quite a long time. And we went away for 10 days. Went to go visit them. They were in the Middle East. And and then we had five days and we said, where can we go? Are we going to go to Paris or are we going to go to another country? And in the end, we decided on Istanbul. Who's been to Istanbul? And uh, guys, if you like buildings like I do and you like food... Istanbul like kind of checks all those boxes and it's just an amazing place. I mean, it's just, you know, the stimulation on your senses around what you see, the architecture, the buildings. I mean, we think Jan van Riebeck is old. I mean, there, they, you know, they start in you know, 500 after Christ. You stand in the building and it's like, and this was built in 500 after Christ. You know, we, we don't kind of know kind of the architecture that, you know, these guys are, are sitting on. And, um, I I like good food quite a bit, and so I I particularly like lamb. Now there, you can have lamb for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, which I did for six days. (laughs) And the other thing that I absolutely love is baklava. Who knows it? You guys know baklava. Now we have South African baklava. But in Turkey, they've got like the recipe that, you know, the guy from 500 after Christ, you know, passed on to his mother. (laughs) Or his mother passed it on to the next generation and and I'm not kidding you like the shops that you sit in it's like established 1713 you know and then you're like they've been baking since 1713 i think they got their recipe pretty sorted and so of course i also had baklava about three 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 times a day and um you know the first day was incredible and i was, i get home i'm like oh my writing in my journal the buildings the food the baklava and uh, <laughs> And the second day, I'm like, wow, more buildings, more food, more baklava. And by the third day, and it wasn't like the baklava was, any, uh, baklava was any more disappointing or the lamb wasn't as good or the buildings were less impressive. I just like towards the third, fourth day, I remember standing clearly in the shower and kind of setting out for the next day of just vigil and, and, and stimulation and just enjoying this amazing stuff. And I just, I just realized at this point that we as human beings weren't designed to be satisfied and saturated by earthly things. You can only eat so much lamb. You can only see so many amazing buildings. You can only eat so much baklava. And then there's just a level beyond which we as human beings weren't designed to be stimulated. I remember standing there, and it's like, it hits me clear as day. I'm like, God, this is amazing. Thank you that I can be here. Thank you that you provided, that we can experience this. And it's amazing, God. But right now, I just remember a time that I was with Shofar Band. We're doing a CD launch. And that experience actually tops this whole week. And that's what this, this psalm is saying. In your presence... There is fullness of joy, not 99%, not 99,999%. The most joy that you can experience as a human being is not by traveling to some exotic destination, eating something amazing, retiring young, riding a motorbike or horses Till kingdom comes. That is not where you're going to get fullness of joy. Fullness of joy you will only find in the presence of God. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is our, if you need strength, what do you need? Where do you find joy? Guys, if you're battling with fear, you need to get in the presence of God. In his presence, of, in his presence there's fullness of joy. That joy is your strength. With that strength, you will overcome what you're meant to. God has designed it that way. Amen. Amen. Okay, moving on. Number two. Overcoming fear. Put God's CV in front of your giants. Okay, so now this is my favorite story in the Bible. I think it's perhaps Andre's, also his favorite story. But it's the story of David and Goliath. I've read it from when I was a young boy. My kids are also fascinated. That we have to read it every, every night. That plus... The crucifixion. They're fascinated with the crucifixion as well. But Goliath, Goliath. We need to le- read Goliath and David every night. So, we know the story. Um, Israel and the Philistines are at war again. And they lined up in the valley of Elah. Except this time it's different. For 40 days, there's this champion from Gath called Goliath. And for 40 days he presents himself morning and evening. And his voice booms out across this valley and challenges Israel, is there a man that we can fight? And no one steps up to the plate from Israel. We're talking about the Israeli army. We're talking about, even in today's terms, one of the most sophisticated military outfits with many, many victories under their belt. Not one man, not one man. For 40 days, his voice booms across that valley. Not one man steps up and says, I will go and fight the Philistine. In fact, the word says, they scattered before him. They were dreadfully afraid. Dreadfully afraid. And so he's sitting with a situation of fear and intimidation. That paralyzes, what I spoke about earlier, paralyzes a whole army. A couple of thousand of men. They are paralyzed with fear. It's not like it's going on for a day or two. It's going on for 40 days. You would think by then somebody's just like, come on, I can't take this giant shouting anymore. I'll go, you know, modern day suicide fighter. And in runs a young boy, 15 or 16 years old, he's bringing bread and cheese and through a voice for his brothers. His father has sent him. And he sees what's going on here. And he's the only one like, guys, what's going on here? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine who's defying the armies of the living God? Immediately, his brothers accuse him of being agno, uh, arrogant. Say, so, you know, you imbecile, where are those few sheep that you're meant to be tending? Go back and tend your sheep. You don't know what's going on. This is men stuff. Can you not see we're all paralyzed with fear? And David doesn't back down. He's like, is there not a cause? And of course, the people around him start noticing okay, we've got a, a brave one or a stupid one or a combination, but let's go and tell King Saul. There's somebody that's opening his mouth. You know, we need to break the stalemate. And so we know the story He gets taken to, to King Saul. And I can just imagine what Saul looked when he saw this youngster walking and he says, you know, I'll go and fight this, this Philistine. And what does David do? He does what they've spoken about this morning. He testifies. And he puts God's CV out there. And he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It will be no different, King Saul. And Saul's like, God be with you, boy. Here's my armor, obviously, that didn't work. David runs into this... Probably the biggest fight in history in a sense, you know, the stuff of movies. Everybody's got their coats of armor, massive javelins, spears, second sword, you know, helmets, boots, the whole deal. David runs in with the clothes that he was tending the sheep. He's got his little shepherd's bag, five stone sling in the hand. He might have had a, a staff as well. That's how he runs in. He first puts his CV out to Saul. And this is what I'm wanting to share. And then there's this moment of confrontation. And the boy meets the man who's been a man of war from his youth. And they exchange words. And this is what I'm wanting you to see. What they said to each other. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you In the name of the Lord of hosts. So there's this this clash. Two people are coming towards each other. And they declare that to to each other. One says. You're coming with everything that's necessary for modern day warfare in that time. But I come differently. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he addresses David not by his own authority. He says I come to you in the name that is above all other names. He's the one that. You are trying to defy. And so Goliath, when you're trying to fight me, you're actually fighting God. David was the only one in the nation of Israel that saw that. So when everybody's eyes are on how big this giant is, David's eyes are in the spirit and like he's recounting God's faithfulness. He's recounting his, his victories and he's saying, my God is this big. And what David does, he says, this is how the next 10 minutes are going to play out. He says, I'm going to take your head from you. I'm going to feed your body to the carcasses of the air. So that all this assembly will know that the Lord does not save by uh, by the spear or with a sword. But the battle is the Lord's. And so David addresses a natural fight, a carnal fight. First and foremost, in the spirit, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Yes, there is a stone that needs to fly through the air and it's got no margin for error. It's got to hit you right over there. I, I know about that. I know I need to swing my arm and I know I'm, I'm relatively skilled at this, but that's not what I'm placing my faith in. Because I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Like he said to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, he will deliver me from this Philistine. And I really believe David addressed the natural fight with a spiritual solution. Will you still need to fight? Yes, you will still need to fight. Will you need to go work and fi- go to work and face those people? Yes, you will need to go there. Will you need to stare down your fear? You will have to. The difference is, you're not going in the natural. You address what you're facing, what you're fearing, what you're anxious about. You address and you say, I'm here in the name of the Lord of hosts. And that's what changes the atmosphere. I truly believe God was... Completely in the trajectory of that stone fly. God was in the power of the sling. Hits him on the forehead, everybody gets a massive fright. Chops off his head, you know the rest of the story. They chased the Philistines, gave them a serious hiding. Overnight, David is a hero in Israel, marries the king's daughter. The woman of Israel start singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. From zero to zero. What made him different? When everybody saw what in the natural was paralyzing them, David ch- chose to see how good, how big God is. And that's what we need to do, people. We put God's CV out there. And God's CV, in my opinion, is pretty short. It's got two words. Forever undefeated. That's the God we serve. That's why we can declare I have the mind of Christ. That's why we can declare I have healing. It's already done. Jesus has won the victory. Our God is not still competing about whether he's got the name above all names. He's already been given. Jesus has the name above all names. And all we need to do is walk in that authority. We can trample on scorpions. We can trample on serpents. We've been given that authority. All we need to do is stop looking at the fearful thing and look into Jesus' eyes and just remember his faithfulness. Remember how big he is and address our challenges, our fears in the name of the Lord of hosts. Number two, put God's CV in front of your giants. Number three, nearly done. Put God's will above yours. When I was working through the content of this message, I obviously looked at how Jesus dealt with fear. And I actually asked myself the question, was Jesus ever scared? Was he ever afraid of something? And I'm not sure if, if he was actually afraid of something. One thing that I know is that I found over years that he was seriously anxious at one point in his life, right at the end. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. People talk about him sweating blood. Stay here and watch with me. Don't leave me. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless. Not as I will, but as you will. Twice Jesus asked God if it's possible. Let me not have to drink this cup. Remember, Jesus is God. He knows what he's going to go through. He knew about the cross millions of years ago. He knew the road he had to walk through. He knew the pain he would endure. He knew the humiliation he would endure. But most of all, he knew that for a while he would be separated from God. That the Father would not hear his cry. And so was he anxious about it? Yes, he was very, very anxious about it. He was deeply distressed. Crying out, God, please, I know what's lying ahead for me. If it is possible, if it is possible, let me not have to go through this. This is Jesus praying this, people. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Guys, sometimes we'll have to go through something that is fearful. Fearful. Like Jesus did. And the only thing we can do. Is say God let your will be done in my life. I submit to your will. Nevertheless not my will. But let your will be done in my life. Very powerful concept. The last one. Overcoming fear. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Matthew 14. So this is the story where. Peter walks on the water towards Jesus. But the background is they've just fed the 5,000 people. Amazing miracle. Um, and Jesus sends them in the boat. They have to go across the mere What's the mere? Enough, enough, The English, the, the lake. Sends them across the lake so he can be with the Father to go and pray alone. And so they're on the boat and the storm arises. And it's it's pretty hectic. Um, nobody's sleeping. It's the middle of the night. They're tired. They're battling the storm uh, all night. In a sense, fearing for their lives. And in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m., now you must just imagine, it's probably raining, there's clouds, there's mist, the waves are going up and down. You know, it's pretty hectic. They're just trying to control the boat, scooping out the water. In the middle of the night, yeah, at 3 o'clock in the morning, through the mist, they see somebody walking on the water. At first, they can't see it's Jesus, but there's somebody walking on the water, and they cry out, it is a ghost. They freak out completely, it, it is a ghost. And I love Jesus' response. Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. (laughs) And we know Peter's, Peter's response. Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. And Peter gets out and he starts walking on water, people. He starts walking on water. And then the word says, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, which is a nice way of saying it's pretty chaotic out there. The waves are going up and down and the wind is blowing and it's, it's not like an easy walk. When he saw that the wind was boisterous and he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink, crying, Lord, save me. And we know Jesus grabs him and pulls him up and later then rebukes them around their faith. When he took his eyes off Jesus, He sunk his miracle. And this is what I felt specifically for this church, um, Andre. This is a congregation of faith. God's already taken you to an amazing level of faith. You guys are experiencing things that few churches, in a sense, are experiencing. Nearly 500 documented healings. God's already done amazing things. Look how many people are sitting here this morning. You are a congregation of faith. But I'm feeling that God is saying, for where he's taking you. To that next level of faith. To make you a beacon on this hill. To make you a light to East London and the Eastern Cape. Things like this need to be sorted out. Otherwise you will sink your miracles. And it's the issue of faith. You see fear comes against our faith. That's what the devil's after. He doesn't just want to make you sit there and be, afraid and be scared. Actually, He wants to put in his credit card and take out all the money in your faith tank so that it's got zero balance. And then he's like, okay, immobilized, let's move on. And God is looking for an army. He's looking for an army of of people in East London that will stand up and be counted and be light and salt to this community. But how do we please God? We please him with our faith. We please God with our faith. That's how the healings take place, with our faith. And here we see a prime example of a miracle taking place. The man is probably, if not the closest, one of the closest to Jesus. He's walking on water. And all he does is he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the things that are scary. And he sinks his own miracle. And we read about it today. And that's what I feel God is challenging us around. Guys, He wants to do amazing things in your midst. You're an amazing congregation. And He's challenging you to a new level of faith. Amen? I want to close with just a little story from my life. End of 2013, me and my wife are up in Johannesburg. And um, she's got a little bags business. um, And we twice a year we do a a big expo there at the coca-cola dome there in Randburg, and um we were there over over december 2013 and it's the sunday it's the final day of this this expo and uh the morning she tells me she's not feeling all that well um you know feeling slightly nauseous and i'm like you know have you got pills or whatever and we kind of carry on with the expo and we're handing out our flyers and uh selling our bags and um and she tells me, I'm really not feeling now, well now. I think I'm actually going to be sick. And uh, she goes and sits there at the cafeteria area. And after a few minutes, I realize she's not coming back. So I go and sit there with her, kind of leave the, the stand unattended. And, uh, and then she does actually get sick. And, and then she says, like, I'm feeling better. So she says, please go back to the stand. Just go, man, i stand. Nobody steals our bags. Um, and I go and stand there. And a few minutes later, somebody runs up to me. And says, you need to come quickly. Your wife is passed out in the aisle trying to walk back to you. And I walk. you I run the whatever, the 50 meters down the, the aisle. And I get to my wife and she's white as a sheet. And she's gone. As, I mean, she's just passed out completely. Luckily, I mean, God's hand was just completely over the, the kind of the next six hours or eight hours that we were busy. But um, there's a doctor... Right there at another stand, he says, okay, you need to do this and that. Is there a paramedic? Yeah, they get us to a paramedic just around the side there that's at the dome on duty. God gives the paramedic wisdom, Says, starts lifting her legs, says, is that painful, says, very painful, says, okay, I think you've got a burst appendix. You need to get to the doctor like as in now. You know, we don't know Randberg at all. We, again, God just telling you know, through another person, you know, Take a right, then a left, then a right, then a left, and drive for five k's. You'll see a hospital. I mean, I don't know where I am, and I'm just driving like a maniac, you know, through the streets of Randburg. Eventually, we get to this hospital. Uh, it's it's not a medic clinic, um, but but it's another hospital. And um, we get there, and I kind of you know carry her like, and we kind of walk into the ER section. And like I say, it's, it's not in many clinics, so they're not like jumping up to, to help us. They kind of said, oh, okay, what's wrong with you? And uh, you can go and just go and sit, just put your wife over there, and you, must need, to, you need to fill out these forms. Um, and so like, you know, I start filling out the forms, and my wife passes out again. And then we saw action. And then the ER staff start jumping up and down, shouting, get me a line, get me a line. So they obviously realize, okay, we're dealing with life and death here. And um, and they actually asked me to leave the, the ER ward. And I walk out into that next slide. I walk out into that parking lot. And guys, this is my fear factor. This is the biggest thing I've had to, to deal with. Because there I'm standing. I know my, life, ugh, my wife's life is in the balance. I saw by the reaction of the, the ER staff. This is not just you know, a bad day at work. This is, this is life and death stuff. And, uh, God leads me, says, put an SOS on Facebook. Some of you would still remember that. I just like, the hospital, it's serious, but I a you know? Um, and next, he just tells me, start praying in tongues. So I'm walking in the foyer there at the hospital. I'm praying loudly in tongues and everybody's looking at me. Um, and like, who's this, this strange guy, you know? Um, and then oh, it was a whole process. I was basically just chasing on the, the staff saying, where's the next doctor? What's going on? And uh, they get a person to do a sonography. And uh, that eventually, it's a Sunday afternoon. It's a ghost town at this hospital. And um, they come and do the sonography. And there's, I can see this woman's eyes are just big. She says, I don't know what's wrong. All I know is there's, there's a lot of fluid in our bike. What's it? In a abdomen?" In fact, there's about two and a half litres blood that's just kind of floating around you. They get the doctor who's busy with his Sunday lunch pry, he arrives there, I had his pry flace. I'm just like, God, as long as he didn't drink too much. And uh, and praise God again. He has to make the call. Is this a burst ruptured appendix or is this what they call ectopic pregnancy, a base swungerscope? It's basically where the little baby fertilizes in the in the tube and then Bursts. The problem with my wife is that it burst on the artery. And so she was basically bleeding out. Um, they rushed her into theater. Within four minutes they done, they were in. I mean the scar looks terrible, it's like a it's not even straight, it's like kind of like a S. Maybe a chauffeur S, I don't know. <laughs> And so now, while I'm telling you the story is, I don't really know what's going on. All I know is that by the reaction of the medical staff, I need to be pretty worried. And so I'm left with myself and an emergency situation. And it's just amazing, guys, when we put in like the pressure cooker, when we are crushed, what comes out? And what was so encouraging that day is like, A spiritual response came from me, and I just started praying unashamedly in a busy foyer. And then outside a theater ward, I'm pacing and I'm praying loud, I'm saying, Jolene, you will not die, you will live. I proclaim this over you, and people are walking past me. You will not die, you will live. I proclaim this over your life. Taking authority, trying to keep my eyes on Jesus, not the fear. And half an hour later, the doctor comes out and he's just like, "Was close, make it out there, Two minutes later, the just comes out and he's like, "Whoa, man, your wife nearly croaked." Looking for a cross response, but and so. She was in ICU, I think, for two days. Eventually got shifted over to another ward, and A couple of days later, we were back. This situation that came out of hell from nowhere and within eight hours tested me to my very core. And it's a testimony today that I can tell you God was with us all the way. All I had to do was not focus on the fear. I had to focus on Jesus. Just keep my eyes on Jesus. And he delivered us. God delivered us, and I praise Him for that. And so, if the band can come up, um, some of you would have resonated with what I'm saying today. Like I said, some of you are fighting some, uh, you know, some kind of fear on a on a daily basis. Some of you, you know, face something occasionally. But let me tell you, people. Fear is designed to keep you immobilized. Fear is designed to steal your faith and basically make your 70, 80 years on earth not count. And whenever I am fearful, and I think, God, I cannot do this. I think 30, 40 years down the line, me and Jolene sitting on a bunkie there, looking into our beautiful garden, I think, I am not going to regret and say that one day fear stopped me from doing something that God called me to do. And I want to challenge you people. God wants to do something amazing in Islam. He wants to take you to a new level. But he needs even a new level of faith. And some of the things that the devil will do, whatever he can do to stop what God is going to do in this church, he'll come against your faith. And how does he come against your faith? he sends his arrows and his assignments of fear amongst others into your lies and you back down. And you say, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Maybe I will speak out about injustice at another stage. Maybe I will actually listen to God's voice and be obedient to his call in my life and actually quit that job that he's been telling me to quit and do something else that he's called me to do. feel God is wanting us to take these couple of keys, it's just four keys that I've shared kind of out of this experience of doing the CD project from a song that he wrote that was prophetic, that was the the message for the season and start implementing the power of what it carries in the spirit in our lives and the four keys are those what I shared, intimacy knowing God if you know God you will be strong, carry out great exploits Get in his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. That joy will be your strength. You will overcome with that strength. Some of you need to start speaking like David did. When your giant is standing there and he's booming out across your life, you need to say, no, 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 no. I know everybody else is freaking out, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And today, this week, it will be different. It will not be like it's been when you ran over me like a freight train last week. And I wasn't bearing fruit for you, Jesus. Before David used a weapon, he used his tongue. What does the devil do? He shuts our mouths up. Guys, we need to start declaring God's greatness, his faithfulness. His many, 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 many victories. That's why he's given us the Bible to stimulate our faith so we can testify. And we need to open our mouths and declare it over our lives that it's going to be different. I will not suffer from depression. My business will be blessed. My teaching profession will be amazing. That new job opportunity, it will open for me. I will get funds for what I need. I will not lose my job. My marriage will not go down. God, I resurrected in Jesus' name. Before I go for counseling, I declare it with my mouth. A spiritual response for a natural problem, and then the natural will follow. Some of us need to come to that place of surrender this morning, where it's just like Jesus. Even Jesus, God, I'm deeply distressed, deeply anxious. I, I, I actually cannot drink this cup that you've got held out for me. But, but Lord, your will, not my will. Some of you need to pray that prayer this morning. And then lastly, some of you know that instead of looking into the eyes of Jesus, when the challenge comes, you look at the challenge. And you look at what is fearful. And God is calling you to come back to the place where, in the midst of your storm, it's easy to keep your eyes on Jesus when there's no challenges, when it's amazing with God. But when the boat is going up and down and the wind is blowing and it's raining in your face and it's uncomfortable, that is when you need to keep your eyes on Jesus. And you will not sink your miracle. God will make you walk on water. If you can go to that last slide. Andre can facilitate this differently if he wants. But there's four, four questions that I'm wanting you to respond to this morning. Do I need to put God in my river? Do I need to put God's faithfulness out there? Do I need to come to surrender? Or do I need to put my eyes on Jesus afresh this morning?